Welcome to the Females on Fire podcast, where I hope that you'll gain both the tools you need to grow your business and the motivation you need to create your dream life. I'm Haley Luckadoo, motivational speaker, serial entrepreneur, huge lover of Dr. Pepper, and of course, the host who will be introducing you to the phenomenal women sharing their stories and expertise to inspire you, help you succeed, and set your soul on fire. Hi, ladies, and welcome back. Before we dive into a new episode, I want to quickly tell you about my partnership with HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an easy-to-use client management platform where you can manage contracts, invoices, and workflows, track your time, create automated processes, and even create a customized portal for your clients to access. It's got everything, and I've partnered up with them to bring you an incredible offer. Just use the code HaleyLuckadoo or click the link in the description to get 50% off your first year subscription. I love using HoneyBook for my business, but I love to save money even more. So if you need a client management software or have considered making the switch to HoneyBook, now is the time. Again, just use the code HaleyLuckadoo or click the link and save yourself $200 while simplifying your life. I promise you will not regret it. Today is going to be a really interesting episode because we are going to talk all about how you can use a self-published book to grow your business. So today I'm going to be talking with Kelly Notaris, and Kelly is an author, speaker, book editor, and entrepreneur who started her book editing career right out of college and has worked with tons of big companies like HarperCollins and Penguin USA. She started freelancing in 2010 and has even edited a wide variety of books that have included a few New York Times bestsellers, which I think is so cool. And now she runs her own book studio, which is KN Literary Arts, and that studio has helped over 600 authors actually get their books out into the world. So I'm so excited to bring her on and get to talk to her about her expertise on how you guys can use a self-published work to really boost your audience, grow your business, and even drive sales. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Haley. Happy to be here. Yeah, definitely excited to have you. I think this is going to be a really fun episode, and I'm really excited to give our listeners your unique insight and tips on this. Fabulous. Yeah. So before we jump right in, can you just tell everybody a little bit about you and where you came from and definitely how you got into writing and book editing? Totally. Yeah. So I am a book editor. I've been a book editor for the last 20 years. Um, I got my start working in some of the bigger houses, HarperCollins, Penguin, Hyperion over in New York. And then I made a lifestyle change that was the first step toward becoming an entrepreneur, I would say, um, which was to leave there and run the creative division at a smaller publishing company in Boulder, Colorado called Sounds True. And um, they were more in the spirituality, personal growth, wellness category. And so I had actually chosen to go there and said yes to the job offer because that was the kind of book I was reading in my own life and the kind of book I wanted to be working on. So that was how I ended up 
in the niche that I'm in right now, which is what I call transformational nonfiction. So I worked there at um, Sounds True for a few years, and then I was just really ready to have a different lifestyle. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to be able to make my decisions about how I spent my time and all the good things that I'm sure those listening to this podcast um, know and love. And so I made a leap, and I started ghostwriting and freelance editing. Um, and the result of that was that I got invited to speak at a writer's workshop that is run by Hay House, which is a publisher um, that also does what I call transformational nonfiction, you know, spirituality, self-help, personal growth, memoir, things like that. And uh, next thing you knew, I had so many clients, I did not know what to do with them. And I had to start hiring people. So I hired my friends who were out of work editors who I knew would do a great job. And now it's been six years and I have a company called KN, those are my initials for Kelly Notaris, KN Literary Arts. And we are, we hand pair all of our authors with the right coach, writer, editor, um, marketing coach, self-publishing coach, et cetera, that they need for the particular moment they are right now on their book journey. So that is is my my um, backstory, my history, and what I'm doing now. And you know, all of it led me to write a book last fall called The Book You Were Born to Write, Everything You Need to Finally Get Your Wisdom Onto the Page and Into the World. And that's been my focus for the last, you know, eight or nine months has been getting the word out about that book. I love it. I love that you've gotten to kind of experience like almost every aspect of this process because Mm -hmm. you started out with those like bigger companies and really got to experience like that part of the editing and writing world and then stepped into this smaller company that was really closer to your heart, which I think is awesome. Not a lot of people would, you know, be brave enough to, to leave the big (laughs) fancy companies for something a little smaller just because it's something that's a little closer to them, but Mm -hmm. it's good for you for doing that. But I love that you've also come from the writing side now and you've got the published book and seen the writing side of that. So it's cool that you've got a little experience in each sort of area that you share with your own clients and customers. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, that is really one of the two main reasons why I wrote my book. The first one was to be able to say, yes, I have a book, you know, here I am, I'm teaching all about it because I have helped over the course of 20 years, hundreds of authors get their books into the world, but I had never done it myself. And I will say that um, I was humbled by the experience truly. And there were places where I had to make, (laughs) you know, energetic apologies to authors in the past for whom I had not had the um, empathy for how difficult it is really to, to launch a book. And, you know, it's fun and it's exciting and it's important, but it's also work, you know, a lot of work. And I was pretty um, exhausted by the end of it because I hadn't, I didn't have the humility going in to realize that I couldn't do it all. So, um, so that was one really big reason why I wrote the book and a reason that bore fruit. And then the second one, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit today is that as an entrepreneur, I knew that it would be really Uh, beneficial for my business to have a book. Um, And that is something that I am talking about all the time now because we have our main call to action on our website is to sign up for a call with one of our editors. Our, I call them editorial matchmakers because they are, their job is really to find out what service is a match for a particular author wherever they are on their journey because it's really different. It's a very um, unique experience to write a book. And then secondly, to pair them with someone who would be not just a match for them in terms of their experience and their genre, which are really important, but also personality, because I have always held editing 
as a relationship. You know, my authors were my friends, they were my colleagues, they were um, people that I spent a lot of time with. Sometimes I would call them my therapy clients, <laughs> you know, when I was working at the big houses. And so I knew that I wanted our business to be built on relationship. And so we have these editorial matchmakers who set that up. Our call numbers have jumped from about five per week before the book came out to about 20 per week after the book came out. And that is what I want to share with entrepreneurs everywhere, <laughs> how much it matters that you have a book, how that book can go out into the world beyond where you yet can go. And it can plant seeds for you that you have no idea about at this time. It's, it's a leap of faith because to get a good book in the world, you really do have to make an investment, both of time and finances. I'm just going to be honest about it. Even if you self-publish, it is never an inexpensive endeavor if you want the book to stand among the books that are published by traditional houses on the bookshelf. You have to invest in editorial help. You have to invest in a cover designed by someone who designs covers for a living. You have to invest in good interior design, etc. And yet, on the other side, it really does bear fruit. And I've seen that over and over. I could really say for every single entrepreneur who we have worked with at KN Literary, none of them would come back and say, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. Every one of them has come back and said, my gosh, I am totally booked. I have no extra time. I'm having to hire people to help me. And I have the finances to do it because my book has grown my business. So for me, that was the second most important reason why I wrote my book. And it also has uh, borne amazing fruit for our company. That's incredible. I love it. And that was such a great lead in to what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to dive right in because you said you hit on a couple points that I definitely want to discuss during this episode. But first of all, I, I love that you mentioned that, you know, it'll really help take your business to booming. You know, you, you were getting yep. five calls a week before now you're getting 20. And I think a lot of times entrepreneurs more often than not, somebody has a book that's sort of on their heart, you know, they've got something they know they're good at that they could talk about, but they don't write the book because they really don't think it's going to benefit their business very much. They think yep. it's going to be more time than it's worth. It's going to cost them money and then they're not going to get a big return on investment. And I think most of the time when we're not familiar with the process of writing a book, we don't realize that the return on investment is a lot more than just money you make off the book. It exactly. Is build your business a lot. So I kind of want to dive in more to that topic a little bit because yep. we're definitely not talking about simply getting rich off of a book. We're nope. talking more about building your business. Um, but for the people who aren't a hundred percent sure what you mean when you say self-publishing, can you just sort of identify really quickly what the difference is between self-publishing and going through a traditional publisher? Cause totally. I know we hear a lot, you know, self-publishing and we think about like Amazon or something like that, but I think a lot of people don't really realize the work that goes into self-publishing. So can you talk about that for Definitely. a Definitely. So self-publishing is where you are the one responsible for every stage of the publishing process, meaning you're the one responsible for getting the editorial work done on the book. You're the one responsible for getting the book cover. You get the interior designed. Hopefully you get it copy edited and proofread. <laughs> maybe multiple times before it goes to press. And going to press really means that you're uploading your files to one of the self-publishers. That might be um, Amazon KDP, 
it was previously called Create Space. Um, it might be um, my personal favorite is Ingram Spark, um, or you could use any number of hybrid publishers, which are people who will walk you through the process as if you were working with a traditional house, but you're paying for it. So a traditional house is the, the big names you've heard of. We've got our HarperCollins, our Simon & Schuster, Random House, Penguin. These are the big houses that are the places where books used to be published solely. I mean, there really wasn't a huge market for books that were not published through these houses. And also there wasn't a lot of access to what were then called, sort of annoying, annoyingly, vanity presses, which were places where if, quote, if you couldn't get published by a traditional house you, and you still wanted your book published, then you had to go to a vanity press, which who wants to do that, you know? Um, the, the shift that happened actually happened right around the time I got into the business about 20 years ago, there was um, something called digital on, print on demand publishing came online. And what digital publishing means is that you don't have to print 2,500 or 5,000 copies of your book to get a good price on each copy. You actually can just print off one copy. And in fact, something that people don't realize is that oftentimes when you're ordering a book on Amazon, you actually are having a book printed for you. They don't, even, they don't even warehouse them anymore. It's so cheap to print off a copy of book on demand. So what that did was made publishing a book accessible to anyone. Whereas before you had to have thousands of dollars to put into inventory, you had to have a really solid plan for selling those copies or they were gonna sit in your garage for the next 10 years. Now you can just order one copy, you can order 20 copies, you can order 100 copies, and anyone can order them off of any online retailer. So that is self-publishing. Um, you know, traditional houses, they have a much different process. It's a very rigorous filtering system. And what they do is they, most of the big houses will not even accept a submission directly from you. You have to first find a literary agent. They sort of added in this layer so that they didn't have to look at 10,000 books all the time. Instead, they make relationships with these different um, literary agents and the literary agents work directly with the authors, come up with a book proposal if it's nonfiction or a full length manuscript if it's fiction. Um, they work on it together and then that literary agent knows which editor at which house would most like this book. And so they submit it really carefully and the editors have learned to trust these agents. They know that if so-and-so is sending me a book, it's going to be good. I've seen their work before. I don't have to worry about whether or not it's worth my time to read. It's definitely worth my time to read. So that system essentially made it so that anyone who doesn't have a massive following already or doesn't have some proven ability to write fiction, let's say, so that means someone who's got you know, a degree from an MFA program that's well known or they've got short stories that have been published in some of the bigger magazines, things like that, you know, th it's very hard to find a traditional publisher. But that doesn't mean that your book isn't good enough to get into the world. Um, in fact, if you are willing to put in the time and energy, you can create a book that will go on to sell enough copies that the traditional publishers will come find you. So that was one, that's one thing that many people don't understand. When I was working at Penguin, I was working for a paperback division and one of my jobs was to keep an eye. We divided the different bestseller lists among all of the team that was in that department. I was watching the um, Amazon top bestseller list and I was watching the San Francisco Chronicle bestseller list and I would look for books that hit those lists. Maybe it's just one week, maybe it's in spot 10, but they hit that list briefly and they're self-published. 
And then I would track down those authors and make them offers to republish. Because if they were hitting those lists and selling the numbers that were required to do so, I knew that that author had the drive and the know-how and the savvy to really get the word out about their book and it would be a good bet for us. So one thing that's just to allay the fear that if you self-publish your book first, you, you, know, you might hear you will never get a traditional house, that is totally not true. If you are doing the due diligence, the work that you, Haley, are teaching people how to do on this podcast and you're getting the word out and you're building a business, your book will actually not only grow your business, but if it is successful, potentially entice a traditional publisher to come to you. So most of the clients that I work with, eventually they start off self-publishing with the hope of down the line finding a traditional house. That's awesome. I love that you're debunking some of these myths as, yeah. <laughs> as you go. I love it because this is definitely something I've heard a lot of. I've got a few friends that have gone through the process of self-publishing a book and mm -hmm. most of them, you know, they wrote the book, they stuck it on Amazon or wherever and really haven't seen, you know, much of a return on that investment because yep. they're, they really don't know how to market it and they really Correct. weren't ready for that level of work and commitment. Yep. So I, I love that you mentioned that because I think that's the, the thing that we need everybody to know that self-publishing a book is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that your book isn't any good, but it does mean that you're going to have to put in the work and figure out the marketing skills to make it happen. Yep. And one of the other myths that I want to debunk and do frequently is that even if you are picked up by a traditional house, you still are responsible for selling every single copy of that book. So it's not like you get picked up by the traditional house and suddenly they have these marketing channels that result in you hitting the bestseller list. That is a complete myth. That is one of the most pervasive myths that's out there. It is simply not true in today's world because readers are no longer walking into a bookstore looking to pick up a book and buying for others they didn't even know they wanted. That is how books used to sell. So the publishers used to have that you know, brick and mortar channel. It was the only place where you could buy books. So all they needed to do was pay a little extra money to get your book on the front table and you had a chance at bestsellerdom. That is completely different now. You know, 50% or more of books are bought online now. And usually, you know, you get that, maybe that, you know, readers who bought this book also looked at these books, but I don't know about you. I've rarely ever bought a book through that channel. Although, you know, if you put me in a bookstore, I'm going to come out with 20 books. So it is, it's just the way that we are buying our books has changed so much. So you still, even at, that's why traditional publishers are looking for someone who has an author platform and has the savvy to know how to sell their copies of their book, because they will have to continue to do that once the book is published through the traditional house as well. Right. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see how the process has evolved over time. Yep, yep. I, I think it's interesting. I don't know if anybody else thinks it's interesting, <laughs> but I do. Um, so you mentioned a couple things. You talked about like a literary agent and, you know, getting it um, proofread and all of those things. Do you feel like people still need to hire those people when they write their book, if they're self-publishing, do you need to hire a book editor? Do you need a literary agent? What are the things that you feel like self-publishers have to have to really be able to market their book well and have it, you know, make those lists where the traditionally published books also are. Yep. Well, I usually, I'll just say, I usually do not recommend people aim for making bestseller lists with their first book. It's just too rare and you need to have too many books in the marketplace. Most first-time authors 
aren't going to have 20,000 books shipping on their pub day. That just doesn't happen. And so, I mean, unless you already have a massive following, you already have millions of people who know your name, that's a different story. But if you're someone who's just building your business, which is awesome, you're not going to probably, even if you find your traditional publisher, get enough books in the marketplace to hit one of those lists. So I say, just let go. Don't even think about that right now. Instead, I want you to turn your attention toward getting the word out to the people that already know you. Now, moving back to the question you asked about who you need to hire, I mean, my honest truth is that for, for the book to do what you want it to do in the world, if, if what you want it to do is to, is to spread your wisdom into the world and have people start to view you as an expert who they want to hire for other services or buy other products from, that book needs to be good. You know, they, you don't want them. It's, it's worse for you if they pick up the book and they go, this book is terrible. I can't even read it. It's got so many errors in it and it's so confusing. And I don't know where we are in the middle of the book. And I'm not sure where this is going. And these are all questions. These are all things that people think when they're reading a book that has not been edited by a professional book editor. This is one of the next myths that I will debunk. Most people think a book editor is just dotting the I's, crossing the T's and making sure you don't have any typos. That is part of the editorial journey. But that is the very, very, very last part. That is a proofreader's job. Prior to that, most books that are published through a traditional house are going to have at least four to five rounds of editing before we ever start looking at whether your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. The first round of editing is a developmental edit. It's a global edit. We're looking at whether the book is working or not. We read through the book. We give you an editorial letter saying, hey, this is working. These places you need to work on. This is not, you know, this chapter doesn't actually answer the question you say it's going to answer. Um, I don't know where I am in the middle of the book. You need to add in subheadings. Um, your voice sounds a little bit holier than thou. Who's going to want to read this? You know, I want you to talk a little bit more conversationally. Or maybe on the alternative, it's like your subject matter is so important and so serious, and yet your 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 voice and tone are too conversational. These are things that you need someone who edits books for a living to, to look at. If you want your book to be as um, professional and as easy to read as the books that are coming out of the traditional houses, which the importance of that is that your readership are used to that level of professionalism. So they will notice when they read a book that has not been treated with that kind of care. So that is, that's the first thing that I would say is like, absolutely treat your book the way a traditional house would treat it. If your goal is to get people to read it all the way through, talk about it to their friends, recommend it to their clients, et cetera, which is how a book works to make your business grow. It's that it gets passed hand to hand. It goes to people who've never heard of you before because of someone who cares about them, who, who has read your book and sees that they need the wisdom that you have to offer. So, and that's just, that's for practical nonfiction. That's for sort of how to self-help, et cetera. It's even more important if we're talking about fiction or memoir, because those books are competing with Netflix. They're competing with, you know, going to the movies They're complete competing with reading people's blogs. They're competing with so much because they are purely entertainment. And so you have to actually be at the level of, you know, being a good entertainer, you know, and that's something that a, a book editor who's done this for many years can help you do. And then just to add in the other professionals that I highly recommend you hire are a book cover designer, not your friend's daughter who just graduated from a graphic design program, you know, in 
out of college. I want somebody who knows what the book industry is like, what kinds of covers sell, because that is their job is to create for you a selling book cover. And so that again is, an, is another investment. Um, and also you're going to want technical editing, which is copy editing before it gets set into type. You're going to want to, you know, use either a really solid um, program, software program um, dedicated to book interiors, or you're going to need to hire someone for that. Um, and then proofreading on the other side once it's laid out. Now, I, again, I, I say all this and people are like, well, how much is that going to cost? You know, I would say if I were going to self-publish a book, and believe me, my book would need to be, I mean, amazing. And just because I'm a book editor doesn't mean I wouldn't need a book editor. I oftentimes when I'm giving presentations show a picture of what my, the two, first two pages of my introduction looked like on my own book that came out last year um, from my copy editor. They were riddled with red <laughs> and I am an editor. <laughs> so just to say like I would hire a content editor, I would hire a copy editor, I would hire a proofreader, I would hire all these people and I would, I would expect to spend between 15 and $20,000 for that endeavor. And with that, that investment, given the company that I have, it would not take more than, you know, depending on what, what types of products people are buying, you know, not take more than 10, you know, like 10 clients, it probably less to cover that expense. So if you also have a high price point item, you can think about it that way. How many clients would I need to cover this expense? And suddenly it doesn't sound so crazy anymore. Yeah, that, that's some great insight. I, I love the myth debunking, like I said before. Yep. <laughs> and those are some seriously great tips. I love that you mentioned, you know, if I was going to self-publish a book today, this is how much it would cost because I feel like so often, and this is why I'm so excited about this conversation. I feel like so often people get this idea to go out and do something like write a book. And mm -hmm. there's so much information on the internet about how to oh, do that. But yes. most of the time you're finding information that's almost a little bit contradictory yep. and you're finding information that isn't necessarily answering the question that you came to find and answer. Yep. To. So yep. I love that you mentioned even that price point and everything that you need to have and how you need to view the book, because I feel like this is going to save somebody a lot of right. searching about how right. to make this process work. So I'm right. really glad that you mentioned that. I think this is some excellent insight. Great. Yeah, I mean, that is, I will say that's one of the things that I find most frustrating when I see people offering, you know, write your book in, in one month, I'll write your book in six weeks. I mean, I just had a client come to us who had signed up for a write your book in nine weeks and had signed up with a publisher, a self-publisher. And I've never heard of this, but this, I had not heard of this publisher before. They basically gave her a deadline that was a, like, if you don't get your book in by the state, you will lose the money that you put in. Now I would never, ever recommend you work with a publisher who has that kind of stipulation, but apparently there are people out there that are doing that. So this woman signed up for this program online and ended up writing uh, what I call with a lot of love, a first draft, you know, and most of us will have to write one of those. And that is what this author produced in that nine weeks, which is like already pretty fast to produce an entire draft of a book. And then she was stuck with this deadline that she either had to get, she had to hire, she ended up hiring us rush to clean up that manuscript so that it was something she could be proud of when it got published. She either, so she basically had to throw good money after bad, basically. Um, and I just don't want that to happen. And it bugs me that people are putting out these, these lies <laughs> essentially that say you can have a whole book ready to go in nine weeks. Nobody can do that. Not even a professional book editor, not a professional writer. Um, you know, it's funny cause I was listening Haley to your last podcast and, um, 
the, the Haley on content um, marketing was talking about how done is good enough. And done is good enough for content marketing. It's great for a video. It's great for a blog. It is not good enough for a book. So that's something I really want to be clear about. If you put out a book in the world and it is not your best work and it is not readable, no one will read it. And it won't actually bear the fruit that is the reason why you've sat down and written an entire book. So definitely take, take a pause before you decide to write a book. Understand what is going to be required of you, both financially and in terms of time, and decide if that's the best use of your time. Because it may be and it may not be. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because we've said even a lot on this show, but you know, we hear it all the time that done is better than perfect. And I think especially running a business, sometimes you really have to let that be good enough, you know, post on social media or just trying to put as much content out into the world as possible. I think sometimes you have to step back and decide that you're not going to make everything perfect. You just have to get it out there to your readers. Mm -hmm. But there are bigger investments. There are bigger things in our business where we do need to step back and say, okay, no, I have to take the time to make this perfect. Done is not good enough. And so I'm really glad that you said that because I think there's just those sort of bigger ticket items. And I think writing a book would be one of those in our business that that we do have to kind of go the extra mile, put in the extra work, make the extra investment to really make it what we want it to be. Otherwise, why did you even bother to make the investment? Because it's just going to be a flop. Exactly. And you also have to keep in mind, and this is one of the things that I'm constantly coaching my clients to do, is when you are writing a book, you're not writing it for yourself. You are writing it for a client. So you need to step into their shoes and ask, what does their experience need to be in order for you to meet the goal that you have set in writing this book? So if, if, you, if your goal is to have someone be pretty impressed by you, so much so that they want to actually spend a couple grand to work with you, then they have to be pretty impressed by that book. And done is not better than perfect in that mindset. You know, now we never, we authors never think of our books as perfect. There's always changes you want to make. And, you know, it's like some point you just, I always say to my clients, you just have to send baby to college. You know what I mean? Like she's, it's not perfect. No, the world might be unsafe for her, but you got to just send baby to college. um, And you just have to let go. But that is, that is after you've worked with a professional editor. That's after you've done copy editing. That's after you've done proofreading. You've done all of those things already. And then you have to let it go. But um, so perfection can be sometimes the enemy of publication. But when it comes to, you know, the difference between a blog post and a book, it's, it's enormous. And it has to be the investment you're asking that reader to make, you know, hours and hours and hours of her time reading your book. You must, you must actually honor that by creating a book that's worth her time. Right. That definitely makes sense. So in case we have listeners who aren't quite sold yet, they're not really sure about whether or not this is the right avenue for them and their business. I know you talk about how you have three ways that a book can grow your business. Mm -hmm. So can you just sort of touch on what those three ways are just to kind of give our listeners an idea of how this actually could be beneficial? Yes, totally. So the first one I've already covered really, really clearly. This is word of mouth about you as an expert. So you know, all of us, I mean, anyone who's going to take the time and energy to, to create a, an entrepreneurial business, they are going to have something they believe in deeply to offer. And what a book does is it tells people who've never heard of you that you are an expert in this area, that you know, the issue that they have and that you are, 
you know, you're, you're the right person they should go to to get the, the solution to their problem. And that by itself is worth its weight. And that's really the number one reason to write a book. Like I said, it's what's um, made it work for us. Uh, another avenue is actually what I call back of the room sales. So this is if you're self-publishing, you always want to have, you know, 100 copies on hand because if you are ever in the real world giving a talk, um, you know, you're, you're maybe at a networking event or maybe you're actually being hired as a speaker, whatever it might be, you actually will have something there to sell, which is very important because though, again, what you're trying to do is in, encourage customers to, to come to you as an expert for partic a particular piece of information, um, a particular type of information. And with that book, it goes home with them from the talk. It goes home with them from the networking event. And it sort of acts like, I mean, I hate to say this, people talk about it all the time, but it kind of diminishes my craft, but um, like a glorified business card right? It's the thing that people will remember. It's going to be sitting on their coffee table and they're going to be like, you know what? Actually that person, I remember I met her at that event. I'm going to give her a call to ask about, you know, this or that. And then the other way is just through multiple different formats. This is the new, the new thing that's amazing about having a book is that you can record your own audiobook. And right there, you get a whole different segment of people who might not actually be the people who are reading a blog. So let's say blog, blogging is your main source of um, lead generation on the web, but there are people that don't read. They listen instead. So you put your book out there as an audiobook um, or an ebook, let's say, and you're finding readers who wouldn't otherwise find you. They don't, it's, it's, you're able to spread your wings. A book has so much content in it that you can cut it in different pieces and put it out into the world in multiple different ways. Um, there's actually one more way I'm going to tell you. I actually have four ways, which is to turn your book into a course. And this is something that's so obvious and people miss it every time. Like, especially people who are sitting down to write a book. They're like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to organize it. I don't know how to write it. And I'm like, do you teach an online workshop? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I have my flagship workshop. I'm like, that's your book. You know, each module of that workshop becomes a chapter in your book and it works the other way around. If you're at a place right now and you're building your business where you're just currently trying to figure out what the offering is that you're making, crafting your content, I call it workshopping your wisdom into a book will actually put it into an organizational structure that can translate to a one-on-one -on -one coaching package, to a group coaching package, to an online course, to a real world workshop. So that's another way that writing this book actually turns into revenue because you can, you can parse it out in all these different ways and reach audiences that wouldn't necessarily find you through the other avenues you've been using for content marketing. I love these. These are such great tips and I think I think this gave such great insight on really not only how this whole process works, but why it's beneficial for you. And mm. after listening to this episode, I feel like there's going to be a lot of people who really have an answer to what or not they're supposed to write a book. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. So I really appreciate all of your, your tips, your insight, and just your time for being here. But yes, this is the end of the episode. I always do a fun little lightning round with my guests. Great. So we're going to dive into that. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> All right, let's do it. So what is the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? I turn on my phone. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I just do. I check my phone, but mostly it's because I don't have another clock in my room and I'm always like, what time is it? Um, yep. then, you know, I get sucked down the rabbit hole. I, I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm like, I'm a modern woman. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Unashamed. Unashamed. Yeah. Yeah. That's me as well. I'm totally guilty. So I, I'm right there with you. What is the last book that you read? 
Oh, the last book that I read, you know, it's funny. It's not one that I would have expected. I was at the library. I have um, twin 10-year-old godsons, and we were getting some books for them. And I walked past the shelf, and I saw the book How to Make an American Quilt, which was made into a movie. And many people have heard that title because it was made into a movie. But it was published in the 90s, and I'd never read it. And I thought, I'm just going to pick this up while they're looking at, you know, their books or whatever. And I'm not – like an hour later, I was still in that book. And so I went ahead and checked it out and brought it home with me. So that's the book that I just finished reading. It's a wonderful, wonderful novel. That's awesome. That's so interesting. What is one thing that you recommend to everyone? So it can be whatever you want, a product, an item, a service, but something that you think everybody has to have. Okay. So I, there are so many things, but right now I'm going to talk about, this is just, it's, it's everybody who drinks coffee. Um, the Barazza coffee grinder. It is literally has changed my life. And I don't know if you're a coffee snob like I am, but I've, I'm always looking to sort of refine and upgrade my coffee setup. And I've been sort of circling around this for a long time because it's expensive. It's $135 on Amazon. And I was like, $135? Who the heck needs to spend that kind of money on a coffee grinder? But over and over and over again, everything I was reading about it, and I, I read a lot of content marketing about how to pre create a cup of coffee, um, everyone was recommending it, saying this is the thing that will make the difference in your coffee. And they were totally right. If you are someone who loves an amazing cup of coffee, this, the Baratza, B-A-R-A-T-Z-A, coffee grinder will change your life. I love it. I, we have a lot of coffee drinkers in our listener base. So <laughs> I think that's going to be an excellent recommendation. Awesome. <laughs> Glad to hear it. All right. Last question. What is either your favorite quote or the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Hmm. Well, my, the best piece of advice that I've ever been given truly is that life is trustworthy. And I got that from, um, the Buddhist world that I sort of uh, have been a part of for 20 years or so, but specifically the teacher Reggie Ray. And he always talks about how this situation, whatever situation we are in, it's trustworthy and we don't have to be afraid. And I have applied that in business. I've applied it in relationships. I've applied it in every aspect of my life and I have never seen it fail. So that would be my piece of advice to everyone is that life is trustworthy. You can trust it. I love that. I like that one a lot. That's really good. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. What's your website, your company? Where yes. are you on social media? All the things. Yes, yes, yes. So the company is called KN, that's my initials again, Kelly Notaris, KN Literary Arts. And you can find us at knliterary.com. There's lots of blogs, there's videos, there's all sorts of free content. And of course, our free phone calls, um, totally no obligation. We have a zero hard sell policy. You can literally call and get free advice if you would like. Um, just sign up for a call on the website. And then of course, I've got my book, which I am totally in love with. It's called The Book You Were Born to Write, and it's available it's a Hay House book. It's available wherever books are sold. Um, and I'm actually recording the audio in a couple of weeks for those of you who like to listen, which I imagine many of your, your um, listenership does. And then in terms of social media, at KN Literary everywhere. So you can find us on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and all the places. Awesome. And that's exciting about your audiobook. I, I know. I'm really super good. excited. Yeah. My husband <laughs> yeah. is not a reader. He will only yeah. listen. 
and I'm 100% have to have a hard copy in my hand. So we have to buy two copies of everything so that that he has a copy that he can listen to and I have a copy that I can hold in my hands. (laughs) Totally. I so get that. And you know, it's just one of those things that when you're, when you're in a relationship, everybody gets to be themselves. Yep. (laughs) Yep. To each their own. Exactly. Kelly, thank you again so much, because like I said, I really do think this conversation was necessary and needed. Mm. I feel like there are just people Googling their hearts out, trying to find answers to some of the questions that you answered here today. So thank you so much just for coming on here and giving us a little bit of your time and your insight and all of your advice, because I really do think it's going to be helpful to somebody listening. Awesome. I'm happy. If even one person gets what they needed, I'm happy. Well, ladies, that's it for this time, but don't forget to head over to the show notes to grab special bonus content from our guests. I'd love if you could show your support for the show. So if you have just a minute, leave a five-star review about how much you love this podcast. Then head over to femalesonfirepodcast.com and grab your Females on Fire apparel. Get a t-shirt, hat, and more because it all goes to fund the podcast. And don't forget to show off your new swag to all your friends on social media and tag me at Females on Fire and at Haley Luckadoo. I'll be back next week with another great show for you. But until then, keep reaching for those dreams that set your soul on fire. <laughs>